Welcome back to Winning at Work. It's season three, the podcast for the food and beverage and CPG world. I'm Jennifer Lee, Tony's new marketing sidekick and creative guru. I'll attempt to keep him on track as we discover the ideas and strategies behind all these different, better, and special brands. Oh, good luck keeping me on track, but I am really stoked to have you on the team, Jennifer. Your background in marketing and SEO and socials, we are going to have so much fun this year. We're going to be discovering the new brands here in 2023. It's all about functional, good for you, lifestyle brands. Those are trending. Those are the products that are gaining market share and really pulling away from those old legacy brands. We're going to have each and every one of those brands down on the podcast to talk to us, to share their ideas, their inspiration. So you, the entrepreneur, so you, the food and beverage and CPG professional can take these new ideas in and incorporate them into your business and into your life. Oh my gosh, Tony, I'm seriously so excited. I feel like I learn so much just from listening to older episodes Well, that's why we're here. And if this is your first time here, I would recommend, look, go back, take the five episode challenge, pick a brand, pick a CEO, an entrepreneur, dive in, listen to what it is that they're teaching us. If you love the content, subscribe. We hope you're along with us for the journey each and every week. By the way, do you have a favorite brand in your market you would love for us to amplify on this national platform? Reach out to us on LinkedIn and stay tuned for this week's episode. Hey, it's Jennifer. We get it. Everyone hates hiring. Inspired by his guests, Tony created a novel talent acquisition program that attracts the hidden candidate market, the 70% of people that are not actively applying to jobs. Click on the attract link in the show notes to watch a demo. Welcome to Winning at Work. Today, I've got Kevin Moran, Vice President Strategy and Development and analysis at Focus Brands. I think he is the perfect person for us to talk to about how to expand your brand internationally. Hey, Anthony, it's good to talk to you and and see you again. And thanks for having me. Yes, Kevin, you and I go back pretty far. I don't think I don't think I'm going to tell people how far back we go. That's uh, one of the rules on our podcast is we don't discuss dates. Yes, we do. (laughs) Kevin, I would love for you to give people an overview about your role and what you're doing as you're helping these brands expand internationally. Obviously, you've got, uh, what what is it, Uh, Auntie Anne's, Carvel, Cinnabon, Jamba, Moe's, McAllister's, and Schlotzky's. So you've got a full slate. Um, Tell us, just kind of give us that overview of, of what you're currently doing right now. Sure. Sure. So here at Focus Brands, we have seven brands and here we break them up into kind of two categories. One we call the restaurant brand and the other side we'd call the snack brands. So you have Moe's, which is our Southwest um, kitchen, you know, Mexican burritos, tacos, uh, quesadillas, queso stuff. Then we have McAllister's, um, which is more of a hot and cold sandwich um, known for its baked potato and its um, sweet teas. And then we have another brand called Schlotzky's, which is really kind of, they call it, they call their sandwich, the original, and it's a sourdough sandwich. And that was founded in Texas. And those are kind of our restaurant brands that are kind of one of the, the size of the business. Then we have the 
snack brands. And we have um, four brands that we roll up into the snack brands. One is the iconic Cinnabon. Uh, everybody knows the the, the, the Cinnabon and, and the rolls and the schmear and, and all the heavenly smells that go with that. Oh, those are so good. <laughs> yeah. And um, Annie Ann's, um, Annie Ann's pretzels and fresh lemonade. And that's a, a longstanding tradition, especially in the Northeast. It came from um, a, a, fa- a small farmer's market out of Pennsylvania. Then we have where we have acquired Jamba, um, formerly known. And it's newly been renamed just Jamba, but it was Jamba Juice, where we have um, fresh smoothies, bowls, juices, you know, the, the energy shots and, and all of that type of stuff out of, out of the Jamba. And that's predominantly um, from the West Coast. And then we have Carvel. And Carvel is kind of an, uh, an iconic ice cream brand um, founded in the Northeast up in New York. And it was basically founded by a mistake. Uh, the, the the founder Tom Carvel. A mistake. Yeah, his he was he spent a lot of money and a lot of time developing an ice cream truck, um, and the ice cream truck broke down, and he had to get, basically get rid of his ice cream before it melted. And then when it was basically, I'll say half melted, quarter melted, whatever the number is, I don't know, but it was basically soft serve, and he figured, and it sold like he would he couldn't believe, and so I think he said, "Hey, I think I have a diamond in the rough here, and I'm going to be the first. And he is the first to serve softer, soft serve ice cream, and I believe he's the first to put the franchising model um, into the world. <laughs> so um, two kind of firsts for the brand, and th- those are basically our seven brands that we um, that we promote, and we look for you know serious talent entrepreneurs that want to own these brands, and we've expanded this to a global uh, footprint as well. And that's really what I'm in charge of is the international expansion here at Focus Brands, and we're up to about two thousand units globally predominantly the snack brands. Um, it's interesting in how the brands are kind of um, separated. If we were to break this up into regions uh, in the Middle East and in Umea region, Cinnabon seems to be the more prolific, more more units. And then when you go to the Asia side of the market, you're going to see a lot more Annie Ann's than you are Cinnabons. And Jamba is really finding its way um, between the two regions. When you get into the Latin American region, it really gets down to, you know, kind of a country by country specific on what the desires and what the and what the palettes are uh, for those regions. I really love what they're doing with the Schlotzky's brand. I know I know there was one up near me and I think recently they went through some kind of um, I don't know if it was a rebranding. I don't know, but. I, I really liked it. I think they're even selling uh, beer in there now. I thought uh, that was a real nice uh, refresh. And Slotsky's went through a major transformation about two years ago, and um, they really, they really um, hit it out of the ballpark with the designs and and its positioning, and you know the drive-throughs. The drive-throughs at Slotsky's were uh, not just a godsend to focus brands during the pandemic, but it was really a godsend for the first responders. They had a place where they could go and get QSR food through a drive-through, um, and you know, yeah, everybody says, "Oh, there's always there's always McDonald's," and there's always, well, yeah, but how many times Ugh, can you eat a burger? No, thank you. <laughs> a, a week or a day, right? And so having that, um, I don't think of Schlotsky's as QSR. I mean, I know it's quick, but the quality of food is so much better. Right, right, and you know, they've got a good array of of items on their menu to the flatbread pizzas to the original sandwich. Um, so having those options is, is always nice and it, and it worked out well for us. 
All right, Kevin, before we jump into our main topic about how to expand internationally, just what exactly does VP strategy development and analysis do there at Focus Brands? What's your, your primary role? Sure. So, you know, one of the things when, when I was in the finance role and any of the, any of the industries I was in is I was always trying to connect the numbers to the operations, right? Bridging. I see a number on a page. Why does it mean what it means? Right. And so we start to connect those dots. Well, here in the food and beverage business, we did, I've done the same thing. I think my role is um, a little bit, I'll call sales, I'll call it strategy where we're trying to, where are we trying to develop? Where are we trying to do? What are we trying to do it with? And then also from an operational side, can we actually do it? And so it's kind of bridging those three kind of, I'll say functions, business functions together and really trying to figure out what's the best way to grow our brands. Um, obviously profitably for us, but for the entrepreneur too, right? Cause that's the, that's the spirit we're feeding, right? That's, that's the one. And, and, and really our job is simple is to make our franchisees make money, right? And if they're making money, we're making money. And so, you know, we kind of look at it through that lens. And I think having, you know, deep down a little bit of an entrepreneurial mindset myself, um, I look at problems. I look at um, the, 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 the pluses and minuses that are coming down the pipe. And I say, well, what would I do if I owned this business? What would I want to know? What would I be looking at? And how would I try to be proactive here and, and less reactive and stuff like that? So I think, you know, tying all that together really helps position me, but I think really positions Focus Brands International to capture that entrepreneurial mindset. And at the end of the day, Anthony, it's the same mindset, no matter where you are, what country, what city, it's the same. And they all want to um, get as big as they can and make as much money as they can, but they also want to serve people. Their ultimate goal is to be helping people. And when you find people like that, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a, a success model that's really fun to be a part of. You know, Kevin, that is what I think I love about working within the food and beverage space is that all the entrepreneurs that I have I have met, and I've met a lot of them on this podcast, they all truly have a heart of service. They want to serve people. They want to do something good for others. And I think it's fantastic that that you're seeing that as well. And that is actually one of the qualities and characteristics that you're searching for when you're looking for someone to expand internationally. Okay, so let's dive into our topic. So what are some of the first few things that you, a brand owner or entrepreneur, should be doing when you are looking at a new market to move into? Sure. So if you're if you're a domestic brand and you're trying to expand into any international market, the first thing you're really going to want to understand is who are my competitors or what are my um, as like sets. Right. So if I'm if I'm Cinnabon, who are some of my you know competitors or, or perceived competitors that I would see in a market that I'm trying to go to? Is it Krispy Kreme? Is it Dunkin Donuts? Is it, you know, the, the local pastry shops there? And, and what's the appetite of, of the product I'm trying to promote within that region? Right. And so you got to understand that. What's the palette of, of the area in which you're going? And do I think it can be successful? I think you can take some history. I think you can look at your competitor sets and say, well, by the way, there's a hundred Krispy Kremes here, or there's a hundred of these there. I think I could be a part of that. And I think I might even be able to take some market share from that. So, you, so then you start to look at that kind of piece of the pie. 
But then the biggest piece that people don't really understand, and I think we do an excellent job here at Focus Brands, is people think that they can take their brand as is. It's same four walls, it's same color schemes, it's same menus, it's same presence, and I'm just going to pick it up and I'm going to put it on High Street in London, High Street in Paris, High Street wherever, and it's going to work. And that's not how this, you have to have some flexibility. You have to be able to adapt to the local market. And what we say here is you got to 80% of the time, you got to be thinking globally, but 20% of the time you have to be thinking locally. And how are you going to get the locals? Locals want the Western flavor. Locals want the Western kind of profile, but how do you make it a little bit more um, centric to, to, to their area, to their town, to their street, to their little village, whatever it may be. And there could be, changes in the way the design of the place looks. There could be changes in the menu. Um, there could be changes in how it's served. You know, they don't want it in a traditional mall location. They want it in a train station because they want to grab it and go. They want to have a cup of coffee and grab an Annie's pretzel and sit on a train and, and, and move. Right. Um, so you got to kind of understand that. And then the next biggest piece is really the supply chain side, right? You really got to understand is how am I going to get my product into that country? And if your ingredients are um, produce and proteins and even, you know, you can get into the, the, the wheats and the breads and all those types of things. Well, where are you going to source that? How, are, how is the potential new franchisee in that country going to get your product? You can say, well, they can just order it where I order it from in the United States. Yeah, that's, that is a solution, but that's an expensive solution. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. I mean... So having a supply chain set up in the country of origin makes total sense, but I could see that be very, very challenging to get the right flavor profiles. But then again, it does sound like I need to rethink about the store, the colors, the actual local flavors. I have to take all those things into consideration. I can't just take my brand and plop it down. I have to make some, what'd you say, I don't know, adjustments or maybe 20% of it I need to kind of adjust to the local market all of the above so so if it's if it's a if it's a known brand in 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 a certain concept the flexibility is probably a little bit more than an unknown brand right so if if cinnabon i've got you know you know a thousand of them across the globe right so i kind of understand what the brand can do but then there's what what we call you know brand guardrails right and if Wagyu burgers are the hottest topic and the hottest thing in the country you're going to, are we really going to sell Wagyu burgers out of Cinnabon? No, we're not going to localize it that much. We're not going to no. but there's got to be that malleability within that. And, and to your question about like, do we test it or do whatever? A lot of times we ask the local, um, you know, profile and or franchisee to tell us what they think it is. And then we'll formulate some recipes and some, um, some products here in our culinary and in our R&D kitchens. And we have a dedicated staff here at Focus Brands for the International Team, which is fantastic. And they'll start to kind of, you know, um, play mad scientist with the foods and, and, and the testing. Samples. Of and, and, yeah. Oh, well, here's the here, It's the fun part. Lots of them. That's well, that's what I was going to say. You know, I, I, I put on a few pounds since you last oh, seen me. Boy. So. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Nah, you look lean and fit. 
No, I appreciate that. But yeah, so yeah, but that's that's the fun part too. There's never a day where you can't walk down to the R&D kitchen and something's not a brewing and, and coming around and they want you to try it. And now anytime you try anything around here, there's a survey they want you to take and make sure they're, you know, it's a free consumer set. So why wouldn't you use it, right? No, absolutely. Companies spend good money on, on sampling and getting consumer feedback. So you're just like this built-in group of, uh, very hungry and very enthusiastic samplers. <laughs> Another advantage of working to focus. All right. So, all right, but serious question. How do you make sure your brand stands out in the market? Yeah. So yeah, it's a great question. And we're always looking for those differentiating factors. We're lucky enough with the brands that we've chosen to acquire. There's no one else that sells a cinnamon roll. Right. So that's fantastic. There's differentiation right there to begin with. A donut's a donut's a donut, but a, a cinnamon roll is not. <laughs> and by the way, there's anybody that has another cinnamon roll, which is great. Um, a pretzel. It's also a unique position where, you know, there's not a lot of pretzel players. There's some, um, but, you know, that's a unique differentiator. Uh, smoothies, that market is really taking off um, and there's going to be more players. So that's even harder to differentiate um, just from a, product standpoint so what we really look to do um, is to differentiate ourselves in one in how we approach the market um, how we uh, do contracts and 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 appeal to these entrepreneurs and then more mostly it's in the design of the locations so if you think about a lot of the brands that you know a lot of them are mall based brands right and a lot of them are street side based brands and some of them go overlap and some are, so what we really try to do is make our brand brands as accessible as possible so we look at these markets and we say okay well if we only get you know 20 square meters what can we put in this 20 square meters and how's it going to be valuable to those 15,000 people that walk by this location every day. If we can get 200 square meters, okay, what are we going to do? And, and, you know, being flexible and differentiating in those facts. And then it gets back to that 80, 20 that we were talking about and having that local adaptability is important. And there's a lot of times that these brands, especially some of the, I'll say, um, you know, bigger brands that, are going to try to jam a square peg in a round hole. We're big, we're huge in the U.S., and we demand this, and this is what you're going to get, you know, regardless where you are. And and even them are starting to find that that's just not, it's just not going to work. And so having that adaptability, and you know, you got to stay in the guardrails. You got to stay in certain things. Are we going to make uh, a, a base color palette of, you know, the the turquoise blue and the brown for a cinema? Are we going to turn it into pink and greens? No, we're not going to change that. But there's got to be adaptability and flexibility in what you're trying to do. Well, it would seem to me that you would almost want to like combine. I don't, I don't know if you can do this, but like I would say like, OK, let's go to Moe's and then let's finish at a Carvel or let's go to, you know, a Giamba, a Jamba juice. I'm sorry, it's not Jamba juice anymore. Jamba. And then go grab a, a pretzel or something. I don't know. Is there, do you have entrepreneurs that kind of take um, multiple concepts and kind of develop them in, in the same area? Is that something that is, is that even done? Anthony, we call that the one focus way here. And basically that's a huge differentiator um, from 
an entrepreneur picking brands, choosing what brands does he want to be a part of or she be a part of. And, you know, if you join the Focus family, it's one focus way. You're going to pay your bills the same way. You're going to get invoiced the same way. You're going to get the same type of um, valuable customer service and, um, you know, excellence you're going to get from us uh, across all the brands. So I don't need to learn XYZ brands way of implementing a store design and, and developing it and opening it. And then I got to learn brand, um, you know, ABCD's way. No, it's one way and it's, and it's uh, homogenous across the board. So that's a huge factor for us. And the more brands we can add to our portfolio, and we're always looking to acquire, um, the more we become a one-stop shop, right? I mean, oh, I want a coffee brand. Oh, okay, here you go. I want an ice cream brand. Oh, here you go. I want a sandwich brand. Oh, here you go. I want, you know, and it's just, it's, it's really simplifies things. Kevin, I love to hear about the trends, and I know other people are trying to get a handle on what's coming, what's next, what's the next you know concept or food that seems to be uh, maybe innovating the most. And you travel the world, so what would you say right now is something that we're going to continue to see or see more of in 2023? I think coffee in general, it's been one, it's growing, and it's growing in a sense where there's just a ton of players coming into it. So there's the, the pie was so big that it could be shared and the people that had the big pie aren't really that upset to lose a little bit of market share, right? So that's one of them. I think pizza um, is going into, into a, 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 a part of expansion because pizza has a lot of different plays. You can freeze your pizza so you can go into a channels business, your pizza. And by the way, pizza is the original or maybe Chinese is the original delivery, right? They've been delivering pizzas forever and they've, they've perfected on how to get a pizza to you, how to get it hot, how to have the crust taste the way it's supposed to taste. Da, 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 da. They've perfected that. And they've been doing that for all the years I've been alive, probably even longer. Right. So that's another industry that's happening. And then pizzas are also um, from a, a, um, a size perspective, able to be malleable. So you can get your personal pizza. That's those little jobbies. You can get a medium one. A large. So you've got all these different variables. And then customizing a pizza is super easy no matter where you are. Yeah, I, I think during the pandemic, we saw the rise of the pizza really go through the roof. And, and another one is the sandwich. You know, the sandwich isn't uh, something that the people in the UAE are going to and getting you know, you name the brand, Subway, Jersey Mike's, you know, Jimmy John's, the, uh, Schlotsky's, McAllister's. They're just not going out and getting sandwiches as any meal, let alone a lunch meal or a midday meal or even for dinner. They're just not there. Um, yes, there's a lot of Subways, but that's about it. I, I'm i a little surprised to hear that they, they don't do sandwiches. I mean, I, I don't know. That's just such an American thing. Um, what else? Is there anything else trending? And, and to be honest with you, Mexican, the, 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 the burrito, the taco, um, the queso is another one that's catching on big. The UK has grabbed this market pretty fast already. Um, they've got three major players there that are doing very well. Um, and I think it's really finding your niche too. Am I a QSR brand? Am I a little bit above that? Am I a little bit below that? Like, where do I want to play in this? in this spectrum is something else you got to kind of understand. And, you know, you just got to kind of hold true to your values and hold true to, again, to those brand standards that you're like, this is what's going to work here. And this is why we think it's going to work. 
And to be honest with you, you can't go in willy-nilly. You can't, you'll never grow a brand on one unit. You got to go, you got to go in and say, I'm going to seed the market. And what's actually good that works well today. And you know, it's, and it's a COVID byproduct is third-party delivery. You can seed a brand through third-party delivery with just digital expenses. You don't even need to have to have a store facing front. You mean like ghost kitchens? Yeah. You don't even have to have it. You just need to have low rent, low cost where you can, you know, make your sandwich, make your burrito, make your, you know, your, your cinnamon roll and your pretzels or whatever. And then they order it on an app and you got some guy picks it up and brings it to them. They don't even, they don't even know the brand from, from its physical storefront. Right. So you've got that. So you could see the market pretty quickly with that. Then you can go to the traditional brick and mortars and start to grow your markets that way. So if you're going to try to grow, you kind of got to have a plan for growth. And I would highly not recommend waiting to have the capital in your pocket from whatever the stores are going to generate. You got to sit there and say, if I don't get five stores open or three stores open or 15 stores open, whatever the number is on the capital that I need, then it's not going to work. If I'm waiting for my store to generate the capital that I need to open up my second store, that's okay. Um, it's not the, it's not, it's not the way to grow and grow fast and gain market share and brand notoriety because it's going to take you a year. It might take you two years to, to, to build up enough capital to, to invest into the next property. I guess that makes sense, but I would also think that longer you wait, if your brand starts to prove out, you know, other competitors with more money can just kind of rush in and gobble up the market share that you work to build. Yeah. And then you also have negotiating power. You know, a lot of these landlords, I mean, they're the same people. They're the same people. So if I'm a landlord, if I'm a major mall owner or a high streets owner and you sit there and say, I want to buy four pieces of property from you, at least four pieces of property, not one. And this is the deal I want to strike on them. They might say, okay, so now you've got, you got purchase power. So there's a lot of things you got to consider. Are there any particular markets that maybe are hotter than others? Are there parts of the country, uh, other parts of the world that people should be focusing on right now? I think um, just any country in the GCC right now is um, really um, the ones to keep an eye on. The GCC is westernizing at a breakneck pace, right? Um, I think the UAE Dubai um, was the trendsetter here. Maybe even Bahrain, you could say, was the first one to kind of westernize and kind of loosen the reins on some of the restrictions and those things that you're seeing. But, I mean, look at what's happening in Saudi. You know, the the, the laws that they've passed. the Yeah, the, social the, reforms. Yep, the reforms that are going on. Um, and they see what's happening in the other countries, and they and they want to they be a part of it. So I think the Middle East is um, um, uh, an area to be watching. Um, it's way more secure and way more, um, uh, I'll say safe than what has been perceived and, or is being, um, conveyed to the, to, to us, uh, domestically. It, it's super, super safe. Well, I guess if you're expanding internationally, I, I would imagine you would want the entrepreneur to have some kind of ties to the country or family, or maybe they're, they're from that country. Absolutely. And, you know, um, it's always nice to have someone in country that's also um, taking you under their wing to show you around as well. Um, you're not just kind of aimlessly, you know, walking the streets. But, yeah, it's 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 nice. And yeah, I've seen a lot. Um, and the expansion I've seen in the Middle East is just it's huge. 
Absolutely huge. It's almost, for lack of a better analogy, it's almost like the 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 Wild West, the frontier, where the expansion is so big, so fast. And there's a lot of money in the Middle East. There's a lot of people that want to get in on these things. And the more people you can find that are in the food and, be- food and beverage industry, the better it can be because then you're turning a brand over to someone that's already built another brand in that country, hopefully even one of our focus brands, right? So that's that grow with us, that one focus mentality again. Yeah, it, it sounds like you really do want someone in country. There's, uh, there's just too much at stake you know, for someone not to have that kind of local knowledge. Yeah. So we typically, um, try not to franchise with someone that's not in the country. Um, so if you don't live there now, if you've got family and you've got, you know, you know, people and you're going to go over there and help set it up and do this and you're going to, yeah, okay. That's a little bit of a different situation. Um, but what we're seeing now too, Anthony is the food industry is kind of trending towards at least internationally it's trending towards the non mom and pop i want five locations and that's all i want type growth to where we're we're probably franchising with corporations um more than we are with kind of smaller developments or like if you and i wanted to go into a business venture and do that not to say that we wouldn't but we're seeing large corporations and some of them are already in the retail business some of them own the malls already and they want a piece of the pie of of some of these things some of them are in manufacturing we've got a lot of them that are in the um obviously the patrol the the convenience store the petroleum industry and if you think about that you got these these folks that own 1900 2000 2500 you know, gas stations, as we call them in the U.S., but petrol stations, they've already got the property. They've already got the, I don't, they don't even need to go, need to go find. They have the real estate. Yeah. So it's like, and that's, that's really taking off. I mean, that makes perfect sense. You have all these people that are coming to your locations. You just want to find, how can I maximize and get as much revenue per square foot for this, you know, petrol station, right? And, I, and yeah, totally. And I think one of the things they're also starting to recognize, and I don't know, you know, how big of a trend it will be, but I think they're also looking at, you know, the, the gas powered vehicles, right? Or excuse me, the electric powered vehicles. Now you're, you're the gas station owner and you're sitting there going, holy cow, what's going to happen? Well, these guys are putting in the power stations. Well, they're putting in power stations at their gas stations, but they're like, they have to sit here for 20 minutes. Why would I not want to have a food mall waiting for them? So when them and the three little kids jump out of the car or me and my business partner that are traveling jump out of the car and we got 20 minutes for my car to charge, hey, I want a burger. Oh, I don't. I want a sandwich. I want I want that. Okay, we'll come into our our conglomerate of food here and spend some time with us and enjoy the time while your car is charging. So it's and, and it's it's a truncated truck stop mentality. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then you really get down into the nitty gritty of those gas stations, and you say, "Well, is it is it a neighborhood gas station or is it a highway gas station?" And they behave completely different, right? Anthony and Kevin go to their neighborhood gas station to fill up their tank and to get their coffee or to get a breakfast sandwich, and that's what they do. Are they going to eat a Cinnabon every day out of that store? No, because they're not going to do that every day. But if I get fifty new people on the highway that are stopping off because they need gas. Well, I'm going to get a different person every day at that station. So I'm getting a different 
uh, clientele per se, and and it's working great. I mean, it's 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 a it's a really uh, a, a no brainer as far as you know setting things up. And then it gets back to your expansion. How does your model fit inside a convenience store? Can you make it work? Can I get my my brand in a small enough footprint? How much space are they going to give us? How much do they have? What are you kind of look? Is it something that someone can take back to their car and eat while they're driving? Is it something you'll you know you'll you can advertise at the pump with? You know what? There's a whole array of things that can. Yeah, I'm going to start looking for this in the American markets. You know where they're going to put the electric charging stations at the Chevron, at the Texaco. And now you're able to start drawing people in. You give them another reason to go inside and start shopping. That's been the big problem. Yeah, yeah. And we definitely are. And 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 that's fine. And it's going to have its pluses and its minuses, right? Um, I think, you know, the EV is going to at some point either infuriate people because they have to wait 20 minutes for their car to fill up on their drive to wherever they're going. Well, I mean, we are the, we want it now generation. Well, we're, we're fairly impatient people. So this is going to be really test our, this is really going to test our patience. But if you can find a way to make their patients not feel tested when they're actually, you know, going through this painful process, then you've, you've nailed it. And and I'll be honest. I I mean, I hate to promote another brand here, but Chick-fil-A, they are the ones that dominated the dual drive-through. They're the ones that have cars wrapped around the thing, and no one minds waiting in that line because they know it's going to move. And the way they interact with you, one person takes your order, another person pays for you, another person says, are you so-and-so? We're going to give you this. And I think the running joke was during the pandemic, they were like, um, why doesn't Chick-fil-A run the vaccine? Um, Let them run the rollout. Uh, yeah, the rollout, because they can certainly do it better than we're the government's doing it, right? You know, But again, they found a way to make something that, was perceived to be painful that willing people are willing to wait in that line and they're moving it, but they opened up the double line and they were the first ones to do it. So, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, there's a piece here that I think people are trying to tap into to make that painful thing, not feel painful. Listen, just leave it to uh, capitalists, leave it to the American ingenuity. I mean, they will find a way to make a, They'll turn a problem into a solution, no doubt. Um, well, if someone is listening and they want to like connect with you guys and start a conversation about expanding a brand or getting into it, how do they start? Yeah, I'll, I'll shoot you. I don't know the exact handle off, off the top of my head. I think it's focusbrandsdevelopment.com. Um, and that's where you can you can pick and choose any type of franchising um, um, inquiry you may have. You could do it multiple brands. You can do it multiple. If you're inquiring about a country, you can choose a country. We try to keep it as updated as we can as far as what's available and what's not available. You know, we don't just, you know, I want Cinnabon in the UK. Well, sorry, we already have a franchisee there that actually owns the entire country. Um, so it's not available. So, yeah. So there's... There should be some good guidance there for you, and it will go to the right people. And, um, you know, I, I would say the website is probably the best um, way um, to get, because you can start to really narrow your focus through the website. So you're getting right to the person you need to, as opposed to pressing one for development, pressing two for Latam, press three for Guatemala, press four for <laughs> Cinnabon, press five. You know what I mean? Oh, those you are the, sh- get, sales killers. Yeah. <laughs> 
it sounds like you guys really have this international expansion dialed in. I know there's a lot of different variables. There's a lot of uh, costs, a lot of risk involved, but because you've helped so many brands, I think you can feel pretty confident that you know what you're going to get into here. Yeah, we really try to we really try to tap into the entrepreneurial spirit, but we really try to apply as much science to the art that we can that really takes the emotion out of it and really makes it kind of a sound uh, business decision. Of course, there's always risks, but you know the more the more the more variables you can understand in that decision, um, the the easier that decision can be. And I think some of that expertise that we provide here at, at Focus Brands is. Um, way above where you're going to get for any other brand you may be looking for. I knew it. I knew I was going to hear the finance in you. <laughs> I, I still, I still, I still, I still bleed finance. <laughs> I know. Can't, can't take it out of you. Well, Kevin, it's been just awesome catching up with you and um, learning more about how you approach uh, this international expansion, what people need to be thinking about. I'll be looking for your latest LinkedIn post to see what country you're in. Kevin, honestly, thanks so much for being down here today. Sure. Anthony, thank you so much for, um, you know, letting me be a part of your, of your podcast. And, you know, I'd love to come back and talk about more trends and things that are happening. And um, just, you know, super excited for, you know, 2023. And I really look forward to, you know, sharing some more information with you.